Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and we actually have a friend from all the way on the other side of the world. We've got Brendan Boita with us. So, Brendan, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Yeah, and why don't you tell our listeners where in the world you are actually uh, uh, reaching us today? From a place called South Africa, right at the bottom of the continent of Africa. And um, I am about 50 miles from the east coast of South Africa. So we're not far away from uh, Madagascar. And uh, yeah, so we, 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 we're pretty close um, on the, the Indian Ocean. Um, mm-hmm. we got some pretty good weather. Um, not as drastic changing as you guys, but uh, good weather. Yeah, well, I'm super excited to have you on the program because um, it's not every day that we get to get some international um, people onto the program. Um, But I just, uh, the other thing too, is I think our listeners will be appreciative because they'll probably want to just listen to your accent all day long because, you know, over in America, (laughs) we don't have as, uh, as interesting accents as, as you have. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to set you loose to talk because I really would love for our listeners to be able to just hear your personal story. um, Just kind of where you have, um, come from in terms of your own journey of both sexual brokenness and faith and just kind of give us some background on where you've come from because eventually we do want to let our listeners know about you know kind of where God's called you actually into ministry so let's start with your story where did it all begin for you sure um so um it began quite quite early on in my life um i um i'm one of three children um, I'm the middle child, so there's many syndromes that go along with that. <laughs> um, but um, my my parents um, got divorced when I was when I was um, around six or seven. Um, I was it was still very we were still very early um, back then. Um, it wasn't a common thing for for um, South African marriages, or it wasn't well known for divorced marriages in and around South Africa. Um, we were we were still um, still part of that isolation during apartheid, um, so there was a lot of a lot of not of a lot of negative, but um, some positive that came out of it. So we were very isolated from a lot of the world trends, and um, I think um, divorce was one of the world trends that that we were we were well sheltered from for a while. Um, growing up, um, though being part of a divorced family, um, it it was I was part of the was part of the guys who you know are put aside we were the the the, the uncommon people where unfortunately today those coming from broken homes are part of the common it's the it's the norm unfortunately today um but you know, i was um my sister's two years older than me my brother's four years younger than me um, and i was i was around six or seven somewhere around there when when my parents um, got divorced um so it was it was hard work for my mom early on and, and in, in those beginning years uh, for us. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where, the, where that's, that sort of story started for me. So I, I grew up for the majority of my life not having a father around. Um, and uh, the setting um, in which my, my father left um, didn't really um, leave us in a, in a great financial position either. Um, so he he left us. Um, he was in and around the area for a couple of years, um, 
and uh, he then took a position in um, Joburg, the pretty much the financial capital of of, um, of South Africa. Um, he was there for probably about a year or two before he then um, got some international positions and he traveled around for a while. Um, though the times that we saw him between um, between visits, um, obviously it got less and less. We saw him quite regularly initially um, when he when he was still in around the area with us. But as he moved to Johannesburg um, and then therefore left the country, those those visits became became less frequent. Um, I think I saw him irregularly whilst he was around, um, and then when he went to Joburg, then it was it was once every couple of months. Um, excuse me, um, that that that's kind of also slowed down until he left for left the country. I I can remember. I can't remember how regularly regularly I saw him until I was about thirteen. But I do remember that it was very sporadic. So at one point, it was a year or so before I saw him again. Um, after my 13th birthday, I remember seeing him again um, once when I was, I think it was about 16. No, I lie. Um, I, I, I next saw him after I was 21. So by, between 13 and 21, there was a big gap when he just, mm. he wasn't around. Um, he was in various countries around the world. Um, but there was a big up. So we'd, we'd have conversations with him over the phone or um, over email, but we didn't see him around. So um, that left my mother to try and now look after three kids. And um, she, when he left, he had unfortunately had started a business with a friend that had gone under, but then he left. And um, the debt for that hadn't been paid um, entirely. So the next of kin was, was sought after, and that was my mother. Um, so she had to then find work that paid and so she um, she got a job that um, was better than what she was earning um, and as the years went on so did the children's expenses um, which didn't help um, so that added to not only the debt she had to pay but also just the living expenses um, which set the pretty much set the tone for us because um from early on my sister and myself we started walking walking to school and back um so my sister myself and my brother we had walked to school my brother was in pre-primary um kindergarten i think for you guys um he was maybe five or six so my sister myself we would walk my brother we'd drop him off and then we'd all go off to the school which was right across the road um, and then we'd all then fetch each other and walk home again um so we my brother was about five or six, so I was nearly 10, about 10 or 11, um, and my sister was about, about 13 or so. So that was our ages. We were walking probably about two to three Ks, um, so about a mile or two to school and then back again. Um, and that was purely because my, my mother needed to get to work, come back. She would come back, either um, she would make some supper for us or my sister would make supper. So she would drop off ingredients for us and then she'd go off and do another job and come home again after, generally after we were in bed or um, once we were once we were in bed. So that left a dynamic in the house where we pretty much were fending for ourselves. Um, we were um, we were left alone really to kind of figure out how to do um, not only just our own homework and schoolwork, but we also had to figure out how to do interpersonal relationships um, and that kind of thing. So it wasn't it wasn't the greatest environment um but it's not for lack of my mother's um, my mother's work yeah so then when um, you when you hit these uh so then when you started kind of hitting these ages where 
you know, there's, uh, you know, your body starts changing, you know, the, the, the hormones start hitting and all that. What, what was kind of that transition into puberty like? And then also at what point in time did pornography get introduced into the mix or some kind of sexual issue? Yeah, so I, um, growing up, I was always one of, one of those early bloomers. So um, I've got pictures of me next to some friends and I was like twice their size um, until I hit high school. Then I stopped growing and everybody else caught up. So um, that was, I was always one of those. Um, I think I've, I've grown maybe two inches since, since I was in seventh grade. <laughs> so um, I, was, I was a big boy early on. Um, right. um, but uh, yeah, I think the... The, the transition into puberty was very mixed. Um, so I, I went through a lot of those kind of hormone changes. I think as most kids, as most, most teenage boys do some, I think I was one of those, those early guys just before, before my teens, I started um, going through some of those, those changes. What didn't help is that pornography was introduced to me um, when I was about eight. Um, somewhere between eight or nine. Um, so before I even hit puberty, I was already into into porn, and that um, that I don't I don't think helped. Um, and how were so, how were you introduced to pornography? Was did somebody give it to you? Did somebody did a friend show it to you? Like how was how were you introduced to it? Yeah, so it originally was a, it was a friend who um, actually the first first viewing of pornography that I had was actually in the back of somebody's car, um, and that's. It wasn't it wasn't long, but it was long enough to to get an image. Um, and I think that that kind of stuck with me. But the first um, prolonged exposure I had was through a friend, um, and that was he and I were very close friends. It, we were at each other's houses alternate weeks, um, so it was it was material that was shared amongst us continually all the time. Uh, new material, we'll get new new images, magazine cutouts, and share them amongst each other. Um, and that went on for a good few years um, until the magazines got more hardcore until um, internet came out to South Africa. Um, and uh, obviously then your addiction well, then grows. With that. And initially, I mean, you're a young kid. Um, you've, you've got a family dynamic where your father is not in the home. So you've got sort of, you're being kind of thrust into some, some early independence in terms of trying to figure out, life in many respects and then you get introduced to pornography at a young age i mean how are you even sort of processing all of this emotionally like what did that feel feel like for you as a kid between like 8 and 11 as you're as you're seeing pornography as you're you know trying to figure out what it's like to be in a family that doesn't have a dad around um how are you managing that emotionally as a little kid i think i grew up um, with a lot of um, a lot of issues around my um, acceptance of my appearance, um, as well as just acceptance as a person, I feel like I was always um, I was often looking for some sort of approval. Um, so things, um, and as a as I got as I got older through through school, um, obviously being almost twice the size of most kids um, I became quite um, quite physically and athletic um, and fairly dominant in that sort of regard um, I was um, I wouldn't say I was a I was an expert in one or two things but I was very much um, a jack of all trades I would do 
you know, average to fairly well in just about everything that was physically orientated. Um, the one thing I think I, I did really well was, with was, um, I was I did martial arts. I was probably a staple throughout my, my school career. Um, and um, I think that's with all of, with all the sports that I did, with all um, my, um, my classmates and uh, peers, there was always a, an issue with how I looked and my appearance and, and, and uh, an acceptance to be part of a group and acceptance to be um, accepted for me. And um, I think that, that lingered even past high school. Um, I think that's lingered still. Um, is, there's still much of that that, that, um, that still goes around, I think still within me. Um, so I think it was, I wouldn't say that was just a, as a kid. I think that's, that's been a long lasting issue to sure. try and, and, and eat. Yeah. So tell me also about like, when did faith begin to mix into this? Like when, when did you learn about Jesus or when did you, you know, know about God or, or like at what point in your life did anything regarding faith come into, you know, your life? So I, um, we often went to church as, as, as youngsters. Um, I can't remember when, when it happened, but at some point we stopped, um, we stopped going to church regularly. Um, at home, um, but it was really just going to church on a Sunday, and um, and much more than that I can't recollect. Um, and then at some point we just, we, as a family, we stopped going. Um, when we would visit my grandparents or something like that, we would continue going to church. Um, but I only really got reintroduced again, I suppose, to Christ and and the gospel when I switched um high school so i went i started off at one high school and i switched to a second and that second was called grace college and um I, it was after having moved to that school that i was really reintroduced um not only to the gospel and, and christ but um to people who actually lived out their faith as a christian and um it was my second year at that high school so i was about midway through high school at that time um i went through i went through a bit of a bit of a depression um I was always seen as this kind of um, the the happy face of the of the household. I was the the comedian and the clown, and um, and uh, so I I kind of took that on as myself to kind of make people happy in the house. And um, we we went through this, a number of um, financial kind of heavy spots over over my first my first couple of years in high school. Um, I during during primary school I. I was I always longed for a relationship. Always wanted a girl's relationship with me, and um, and got none of it during high during during primary school. But as soon as I hit high school, then all of a sudden there were a couple of girls who were interested. But I always entered for the wrong reason. There was always a wrong. Um, it was always a, a lustful reason that I was going into it. And I think that's very pornography orientated from from the years worth of of um, looking at pornography and, and viewing both just graphical pornography as well as then online pornography by that, by that stage. And, um, and all the, all the girls that I was going after also then left me for, for other people or cheated on me. And that just sent me down into a pit a bit more. Um, financially we're going through a rough time at home. My mother was, my mother was working so much that she was no, half of it, half of her body was starting to go numb from the stress. Um, mm -hmm. Um, we had issues with my my, uh, my brother was going through a bit of a rebellious phase. My sister was getting teased um, at school, and um, it, you know, there came a point where I just I just couldn't take 
being this happy face anymore. And um, um, I remember one Sunday just lying in bed after everybody had gone to bed and just I was just crying. Um, I just couldn't take any more. And um, it took a while, but my mother came through eventually. And um, and uh, yeah, eventually, as a, it was, it felt awkward, but it felt comforting that um, as a as a teen boy, as a teenager, I I just I needed comfort, and um, I spent the night with my mom in her bed, just just cuddling. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah, I just needed comfort, and um, I eventually took two weeks off of school, um, just to try and recover a bit, to try and get back into into normal norms. Um, and the only people who who sought me out, the only people who who tried to get hold of me, were three teachers and a youth worker, three teachers from school and a youth worker, um, and uh, I I wondered why none of my friends got hold of me, why nobody in a small school would not notice that I wasn't there or say, hey, what's going on? Um, but I had three teachers who left school during school hours just to come stop by, have a cup of coffee, and just say, how are you doing? You know, like, we're missing you there at school and. Uh, that made a big impact that um, these three teachers went out of their way, mm-hmm. found where I lived, came to the house, came and had coffee with me just to say, how are you doing? Um, and it was pointed out to me that, that these, these teachers at the school are only employed if they are active Christians in a church. And um, it made me start thinking, like, why are they different to a normal Christian? Um, and that's when the youth worker started uh, started kind of just guiding me along and just showing me that that there's a difference between being calling yourself a Christian and living like Christ. Um, and it um, that started a two year a, I would say a, a two year process in me becoming a becoming a Christian. I had a probably a two part conversion at that stage. Mm-hmm. And, so uh, then, yeah. so then when you when you when you come to Christ, how does that what does that look like in terms of beginning to sort of reorient your perspective, especially around, you know, the fact that you've got years of exposure to pornography that have really been, you know, shaping your mind, shaping your view of sex and women and relationships and all of that. What did a relationship with Christ do to begin to address the pornography issue? It actually took a little while before I got to that point. So, um, so I was I was about I think it was I was about 16 when I when I had that that first part of that depression stage and first part of my conversion. I think that the, over the next two years I was I was mentored by this youth worker um, into not only just starting to look more into scripture, learn more of scripture, um, begin to live out more of what I see in scripture, um, and uh, yeah, just talk a lot more to, to Christ. Um, it was, it was over those years, um, spent time with, with him and, and, and his mentorship that I started to see, actually, this is what a Christian looks like. Um, this is actually attractive. This is, this is something that I want. And, uh, it was a big step for him. He actually, he was probably about six months married. And, um, at that stage, he just kind of opened his house to me. So I would go to youth with him on, on a Friday night and then go to his house, stay the night with him on, a, on, the, on this Friday night until Saturday morning. He was married for six months maybe, and he's already got this, this young teenager staying at his house. <laughs> um, but he, he did a lot of mentorship and spent a lot of time with me over those years. And um, it slowly, I slowly started to, my personality started to change. Um, I, I had a very short fuse in, in terms of the temper. 
Um, you just needed to look at me skew and I'm, that would trigger me. And then, so that, that started to lengthen a bit. I um, became a lot more concerned about um, living a different life than the, 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 the life my father lived with us. Um, I became a lot more concerned about um, actually being there for my family. I became a lot more concerned about um, how, I treated, how I treated my family. Um, and um, yeah, it was, I think it was um, the end of uh, my matriculate, my grade 12 year. Um, and um, the, the last year of, of high school for us. And it was during that year, I think, when I really started to, to understand more of Scripture and I started to accept more of what, what Christ had done. Um, I then got the opportunity to work as a youth worker straight out of school. Um, and uh, within the first couple of months of that, um, of that opportunity, um, it was hugely beneficial for me. I, I managed to sit and just listen to my pastor and assistant pastor debate discussions and wrestle with scripture. And I, I delved into a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of scripture. I was going through a, a basic theological course and we went through um, some biblical theology, some practical theology, some systematical theology, and really, really um, built my knowledge substantially. And I got to ask a huge amount of questions and, um, one of the things that I, I one of the things I started doing was started looking at um, at pornography and looking at lust, and I, I realized that this is something that, that I shouldn't be doing. This is something that's wrong. Um, but it was I was going through I was reading through a book. Um, I think it was probably about three months, four months into me being this um, working as a youth worker. This book laid out a challenge between male and authentic manhood, um, and I thought, like, what's the what's the difference? Um, and they, they start to build up this, uh, this, this maleness first. And they talk about this guy who's this go-getter, who's, um, who's this guy who kind of just, he goes with what feels great. You know, he goes with his, his, um, his, his what feels good with him. He pursues what's good and right for him. And I, I, initially, I was kind of thinking, going, this, is, this, sounds, this sounds like, like an, an average guy. It sounds like a, a good guy. Um, until they dropped the bomb saying, how is he different to a dog just following his own instincts? I was thought, yeah, okay. Wasn't expecting that. And then they mm -hmm. built up and showed this, this image of, of authentic manhood. Um, and they said that an authentic man doesn't just follow his, his every whim that he feels. He doesn't just follow anything that's, that he feels um, automatically. He, he stops, he thinks about it, and he, he gauges, is this right? Is this wrong? How does this measure up with scripture? How does this measure up with Christ? Yes, I've got this urge, but is that urge right? Is that, is that sinful or is that, is that a, a God-given urge? And, um, and the, the way they built up that, that idea and, and, and picture of authentic manhood, I, that it just really became, became something for me saying, that's actually what I want. Mm -hmm. And then they flipped it around and said, okay, well then what about lust? What about pornography? What about the thoughts that you have, the feelings that you have for other, other people, people, you know, people's daughters or wives or any, any person along the street, you know, what are you, what are you doing to those people with your thoughts that Christ would not approve of? Um, and then vice versa. How would you, how would you then say, all right, Christ, teach me how to be a man with those thoughts, with those feelings. Yeah. Um, and I can, really what and I can imagine that that was a massively pivotal moment in your life because as I'm hearing your story and I'm, I'm listening to this, this boy who grew up pretty much without a father in the home and was introduced to pornography at a young age who 
which by the way, we all know pornography is a terrible uh, mentor when it comes to understanding sex and relationships and faithfulness and all you know the sacrifice that's required in a healthy relationship certainly doesn't teach us about authentic manhood right sure. so i'm hearing i'm hearing that you reached this pivotal point where you started realizing that that god is starting to um examine your life through the lens of his word and through the lens of you know his son jesus um but i'm also hearing that that was, it sounds almost like God was being, um, if I can put it this way, gentle with you in terms of helping you into that. In other words, he didn't come to you and smash you in the nose as a kid who'd grown up with a lot of missing pieces in terms of being able to understand how to be a man. And and so, uh, you know, we've got a few minutes left, but I would love for you to be able to kind of tell us where things went from there and then also just any encouraging words that you would have for any other men, especially that are out there that may have, be, may be, have faced some of the things you faced in your history about an absent father, the difficulty of kind of trying to deal with anger that can come up. Just any word of encouragement that you would have for them before we let them know where they can get more information about you and your ministry. Sure. Um, so from there, I, I mean, um, I started dating a girl um, who I vowed to the Lord, Lord, if this is if this doesn't work, that's me done for <laughs> for for relationships for a while. Um, and uh, that 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 girl ended up helping me deal with pornography in a relationship. Um, I had to open up quite early on with her, saying, "Hey, this is this is what I'm dealing with." And um, she, I must admit, she took it in a stride. She's been a massive help. She, um, she and I dated for seven years and then we got married and we've been married for now eight and we've got two little kids and, um, yeah, no, wouldn't look back and, uh, and regret anything with her. So that's, uh, she happens to be my pastor's daughter. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think in terms of encouragement, anyone who comes from a bit of a fatherless home, um, or hasn't really had any, any great male role models um the thing i'd say is that the father he knows um the lord is watching us and uh he does take it he he is gentle with us he he deals with us um in a way that is not going to break us um you know he he knew that this um me with pornography and not having father and coming back i came from it it wasn't was the thing that needed to leave right then and then. Um, amazingly, I mean, I, I, a lot of my external things changed. Uh, my language changed, the way I spoke changed, my temperament changed. Before pornography was addressed, my heart had to be open first to his his guidance, and um, he he really did that. He worked he worked well to soften me before he hit me with a <laughs> with a blow. Um, but he does. Since then, I've seen his hand working in me to to show approval, to show that. That approval that I've that I've been seeking for so long, he has been answering. Um, there have been yeah. a number of things, a number of things in, in the in the last few years where I've desired someone to say something, and they have. But that was I've been able to see that that wasn't them saying it. It was the Lord saying, "Yes, I approve of you, my boy. This is this is what I'm going to do for you." Mm-hmm. And um, he does he does build us up. He does look after us. He does guide us. Um, so my encouragement would be seek him. He is, he is the everlasting father. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful, but he's all-loving. He is gentle. And mm-hmm. um, he, wants, he wants us. 
to desire him. He wants us to be like him. And um, he'll, he'll do what he can to get us there. So we're going to, um, uh, we're going to have you back, Brendan, because we want to, we want to also be able to share with people how God's called you into ministry. So real briefly, can you share with us uh, what your ministry is and then how people could uh, get more information about it? Sure. Um, so Break Free is, is aimed particularly at trying to raise awareness in South Africa around, um, around pornography and its effects. Um, the culture in South Africa most often is that um, pornography is just something everybody guy, every guy does um, without actually knowing what it's doing um, psychologically, but also because um, the majority of kids in South Africa are exposed from an early age and many are exposed from as young as I was, but to much hardcore stuff than what I was exposed to. Um, so the damage being done from such an early age is far higher. So break freeze main aim is to try and raise awareness to this is what the problem is. It's actually a massive problem and it needs to be dealt with. Um, but then to try and use both my, my background as an IT administrator as well as um, some counseling points and tips to go, this is what you can do to get out of, out of pornography. There's things you can do and you don't, it's not just I raise awareness and stop, but there's, there's interventions um, technology, technological interventions, there's counseling interventions, but primary, primarily there's the Lord. Mm -hmm. And what's the website where they could, where they could get more info? Sure. It's www.break-free.co.za. Okay. And we'll make sure we've got that in our show notes, but Brendan, thanks so much for being willing to share your story with us and with our listeners and for, for being here today. We really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And listeners, you know that we're always grateful for having you with us and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. So take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.